0: you're listening to Allen, on oleander public radio recording by barry eads astounding stories 10 october 1930 by various section 14 jetta of the lowlands by ray cummings chapter 13 the flight to the bandit stronghold during this flight of some six hours north and then i think northeast to the remote lowland fastness where De Boer's base was located, I had no opportunity to learn much of the operation of this invisible flyer. But it was the one which had been lost, wrecked, no doubt, and the small crew aboard it all killed. The vessel, however, was not greatly damaged. The crew were killed doubtless by escaping poisonous gases when the flyer struck. How long it lay unfound, I cannot say. Perhaps, for days, it still maintained its invisibility, while the frantic planes of the U.S. Anti War Department tried in vain to locate it. And then, with its magnetic batteries exhausting themselves, it must have become visible. Perona, making a solo flight upon Narita business to Great London, came upon it. Perona, Spawn, and de Boer were then in the midst of their smuggling activities. They salvaged the vessel secretly. De Boer, with an incongruous flair for mechanical science, was enabled in his bandit camp to recondition the flyer, building a workshop for the purpose, with money which Perona freely supplied. Some of this I learned from De Boer, some in surmise, but I am sure it is close to the facts. I have since had an opportunity, through my connection with this adventure which I am recording, of going aboard one of the ex-flyers in the anti-war department, and seeing it in operation with its technical details explained to me. But since it is so important a government secret i cannot set it down here the principles involved are complex the postulates employed and the mathematical formulae developing them in theory are far too intricate for my understanding yet the practical workings are simple indeed some of them were understood as far back as 1920 and 30 when that pioneer of modern astrophysics albert einstein first proved that a ray of light is deflected from its normal straight path when passing through a magnetic field. I am sorry that I cannot give here more than this vague hint of the workings of the fantastic invisible flyers, which today are so often the subject of speculation by the general public which has never seen them, and perhaps never will. But I think, too, that a lengthy pedantic discourse here would be out of place, and tiring. After all, I am trying to tell only what happened to me in this adventure, and to little Jetta. A very strangely capable fellow, this young de Boer. A modern pirate, no other age could have produced him. He did not spare Perona's money, that was obvious. From his hidden camp he must have made frequent visits to the great highland centers, purchasing scientific equipment. Until now, when his path crossed mine. I found him surrounded by most of the everyday devices of our modern world. The village of Nerida was primitive, backward. Save for its modern lights, a few local audiphones and image-finders and its official etheric connections with other world capitals it might have been a primitive latin american village of a hundred years ago but not so de boer's camp which presently i was to see nor this his flyer with which his smuggling activities had puzzled hanley's office for so many months there was nothing primitive here de boer himself was a swaggering villain i saw him now with his cloak discarded in the normal tube lights of the control room when after a time the mechanism of invisibility of the flyer was shut off a fellow of six feet and a half at the very least this De Boer, heavy yet with his great height and strength lean and graceful he wore a fabric shirt with a wide rolled collar a wide belt of tanned hide with lighters a little electron drink cooler and other knick-knackeries hanging from tasseled cords and a naked, ugly-looking knife-blade clipped beside a holster which held an old-fashioned exploding projector of leaden steel-tipped bullets. His trousers were of leather, wide-flaring, ending at his brawny bare knees, with wide-cut, limp leather boots flapping above his calves in ancient, piratical fashion. They had flaring soles, these shoes, for walking upon the lowland caked ooze. The uppers were useless. I rather think he wore them because they were picturesque. He was a handsome fellow, with rough-hewn features, a wide mouth, and very white, even teeth. A cruel mouth, when it went grim, but the smile was intriguing, I should think particularly so to women. He had a way with him, this devil-may-care bandit, strange mixture of a pirate of old, and an outlaw of our modern world, with a sash at his waist, a red handkerchief about his forehead, and a bloody knife between his teeth. I could have fancied him a fabled pirate of the Spanish Main, a few hundred years ago, when these dry lowlands held the tossing seas. But I had seen him, so far, largely seated, quietly in his chair at his instrument table, a cigarette dangling from his lips, and instead of a red bandana about his forehead, merely the elastic band holding the lens of his image-finder. It caught in the locks of his curly black hair. He pushed it askew, and then, since he did not need it now, discarded it altogether. Where we went I could not surmise except that we flew low over the sullen black waters of the Norris Sea and then headed northeast. We kept well below the zero height, with the dark crags of the lowlands passing under us. The night grew darker, storm clouds obscured the moon, and it was then that De Boer shut off the mechanism of invisibility. The control room, with only the watchful Gutierrez now in it, besides De Boer, Jeddah, and myself, was silent and orderly, but there were sounds of roistering from down the ship's corridor. The bandits, with this treasure of the radiumized quicksilver ingots aboard, were already triumphantly celebrating. I sat whispering with Jeddah. De Boer, busy with charts and navigational instruments, ignored us, and Gutierrez, so long as we did not move, seemed not to object to our whispers. The night slowly passed. De Boer served us food, calling to one of his men to shove a slide before us. For himself, he merely drank his coffee and an alcoholic drink at his instrument table, while absorbed in his charts. The roistering of the men grew louder. De Boer leaped to his feet, cursed them roundly, then went back to his calculations. He stood once before Jeddah, regarding her with a strange, slow smile, which made my heart pound, but he turned away in a moment. The bandits, for all De Boer's admonitions, were now ill-conditioned for handling this flyer, but I saw, through the small grid opening in the control room ceiling, the pilot in his cubby upon the wingtop. He sat alert and efficient, with his lookout beside him. The night presently turned really tumultuous, with a great wind overhead, and storm clouds of ink shot through occasionally by lightning flashes. We flew lower, at minus two thousand feet on the average. The heavy air was sultry down here, with only a dim blurred vista of the depths beneath us. I fancied that now we were bending eastward, out over the great basin pit of the mid-Atlantic area. No vessels passed us, or, if they did, I did not sight them. De Boer had a detector on his table. Occasionally it would buzz with calls, liners or patrols in our general neighborhood. He ignored them with a sardonic smile. Once or twice, when our dim lights might have been sighted, he altered our course sharply. And, when at one period we passed over the lights of some lowland settlement, he flung us again into invisibility until we were beyond range. I had, during these hours, ample opportunity to whisper with Jeddah, but there was so little for us to say. I knew all of Spawn's and Perona's plot. Both were dead. It was de Boer with whom we were menaced now, and as I saw his huge figure lounging at his table and his frowning, intent face, the vision of the aged, futile Perona, who had previously been my adversary, seemed inoffensive indeed. De Boer obviously was pleased with himself. He had stolen half a million dollars of treasure, and was making off with it to his base in the depths. He would smuggle these ingots into the world markets at his convenience, months from now, probably. Meanwhile, what did he intend to do with me and Jetta? Ransom me? I wondered how he would manage it, and the thought pounded me. What about Jetta? I felt now that she was all the world to me. Her safety, beyond any thought of smugglers or treasure, was all that concerned me. But what was I going to do about it? I pressed her hand. Jetta, you're not too frightened, are you? No, Philip. Her mind, I think, was constantly on her father, lying dead back there on his garden path. I had not spoken of him, save once. She threatened instant tears, and I stopped. Do not be too frightened. We'll get out of this. Yes. He can't escape, Jetta. He can't hide. Why, in a day or so, all the patrols of the United States Lowland Service will be after us. But if the patrol ships assailed De Boer, if he found things going badly, he could so easily kill jetta and me. He might be caught, but we would never come through it alive. My thoughts drifted along, arriving nowhere, just circling in the same futile rounds. I was aware of Jeddah falling asleep beside me, her face against my shoulder, her fingers clutching mine. She looked like a half-grown, slender, ragged boy, but her woman's hair lay thick on my arm and one of the dark tresses fell to my hand. I turned my fingers in it. This strange little woman was my love for her foredoomed to end in tragedy. I swore then that I would not let it be so. End of chapter 13 Chapter 14 Jetta Takes a Hand I came from my reverie to find a boar before me. He was standing with legs planted wide, arms folded across his deep chest and on his face an ironic smile. So tired, my little captives to me. You look like babes lost in a wood. I disengaged myself from Jeddah, resting her against a cushion, and she did not awaken. I stood up, fronting De Boer. What are you going to do with me? I demanded. He held his ironic smile. Take you to my camp. You'll be well hidden. No one can follow me. My ex-flyer's a very handy thing to have, isn't it? So you're the smuggler I was sent after. That really amused him. Er, yes. Those tricksters, Perona and Spawn, we were what you would call partners. He had, the perfumed Perona, what he thought was a clever scheme for us. I was to take all the risk, and he and Spawn get most of the money. Chuh! They thought I was imbecile, pretending to attack a treasure and being such a fool that I would not seize it for myself. Not de bore. He chuckled. Well, so very little did they know me. No treasure yet touched De Boer's fingers without lingering. He was in a talkative mood, and drew up his chair and slouched in it. I saw that he had been drinking some alcoholic beverage, not enough to befuddle him, but enough to take the keen edge off his wits and make him want to talk. Sit down, Grant. I'll stand. As you like. What are you going to do with me? I demanded again. Try to ransom me for a fat price from the United States? He smiled sourly. You need not be sarcastic, young lad. The better for you if I get a ransom. Then I hope you get it. Perona's idea, he added. I will admit it looked possible. I did not know then you had government protection. He went grim. That was Perona and Spawn's trickery. Well, they paid for it. No one plays to bore false and lives to tell it. Perona and Spawn wanted to get rid of you because you annoyed them. Did I? With the little Jetta, I fancy. His gaze went to the sleeping Jetta and back to me. Perona was very sensitive where this little woman was concerned. Why not? An oldish fool like him. I could agree with that, but I did not say so. I said, you'd better cast me loose, Jetta and me. I suppose you realize, Debore that you'll have the patrols like a pack of hounds after you. Jetta is a Narita citizen. The United States will take that up. There's the theft of the treasure, and as you say, I'm a government agent. He nodded. Your government is overzealous in protecting its agents. That I know, Grant. I might have left you alone there in the gardens when I realized it, but that, by damn, was too late. Live men talk. Anyway, if I cannot ransom you, to kill you is very easy, and dead men are shut-mouthed. I'm still alive, DeBoer. He eyed me. You talk brave this condescending amused giant i retorted how are you going to ransom me that he said i have not yet planned it a delicate business i ventured and jetta my heart was beating fast jetta he said with a sudden snap is none of your business again his gaze went toward her i might marry her why not i am not wholly a villain i could marry her legally in cape town "'with all the trappings of clergy, "'and be immune from capture under the laws there. "'If she is seventeen. "'I have forgotten her age. "'It's been so long since I knew her. "'Is she seventeen? "'She does not look it. "'I said shortly, "'I don't know how old she is. "'But we can ask her when she wakens, can't we? "'He was amusing himself with me, "'and yet, looking back on it now, "'I believe he was more than half serious. "'From his pouch he drew a small cylinder.' "'Have a drink, Grant. After all, I bear you no ill will. A man can but follow his trade. You were trying to be a good government agent.' "'Thanks. And then you may make it possible for me to pick a nice ransom. Here.' "'I hope so.' I declined the drink. "'Afraid for your wits?' "'I said impulsively. I want all my wits to make sure you handle this ransom properly, Boer. I'm as interested as you are. In that, at least, we are together.' He grinned, tipped the cylinder at his lips for a long drink. Quite so. A mutual interest. Let us be friends over it. His gaze wandered back to Jeddah. He added slowly. She is very lovely, Grant. A little woodland flower, just ready for plucking. A sentimental tone, but there was in his expression a ribald flippancy that sent a shudder through me. She has quite overcome you, Grant. Well, why not me as well? I am certainly more of a man than you. We must admit that Perona had a good eye. My thoughts were wandering. Suppose I could not find an opportunity to escape with Jetta? De Boer might successfully ransom me and take her to Cape Town. Or if he feared that to try for the ransom would be too dangerous, doubtless he would kill me out of hand. An ill outcome indeed. Nor could I forget that there was half a million of treasure involved. It was obvious to me that Hanley would not permit the patrol ships to attack DeBoer with the lives of Jeddah and myself at stake. Hanley knew, or suspected, that DeBoer was operating an invisible flyer, but I did not see how that could help Hanley much. Marcus, acting for Narita, would doubtless be willing to ransom Jeddah. The United States would ransom me. I must urge the ransom plan, because for all the money in the world, I would not endanger Jeddah, nor let this bandit carry her off. Or could I escape with her, and still find some means to save the treasure? It was Jedda's treasure now, two-thirds of it, for it had legally belonged to her father. Could I save it, and her as well? Not by any move of mine, here now, on this flyer. That was impossible. In De Boer's camp, perhaps. But that, too, I doubted. He was too clever a scoundrel to be lax in guarding me. But in the effecting of a ransom, the exchange of me, and perhaps Jeddah for a sum of money, that would be a delicate transaction, and some little thing could easily go wrong for De Boer. There would be my chance. I would have to make something go wrong. Get in his confidence now so that I would have some say in arranging the details of the ransom. Make him think I was only concerned for my own safety. Appear clever in helping plan the exchange, and then so manipulate the thing that I could escape with Jetta and save the treasure, and the ransom money as well and capture De Boer, since that was what Hanley had sent me out to accomplish. Thoughts fly swiftly. All this flashed to me. I had no details as yet, but that I must get into De Boer's confidence stood but clearly. I said abruptly, De Boer, since we are to be friends, so you prefer to sit down now? Yes. I had drawn a small settle to face him. De Boer, do you intend to ask a ransom for Jetta? YOU INSIST WITH THAT QUESTION. THAT IS MY WAY. THEN WE CAN UNDERSTAND EACH OTHER. DO YOU? NO, HE SAID SHORTLY. I FROWNED. I THINK I COULD GET YOU A BIG PRICE. I THINK I SHOULD PREFER THE LITTLE Jetta, GRANT. I HELD MYSELF OUTWARDLY UNMOVED. I DON'T BLAME YOU, BUT YOU WILL RANSOM ME. IT CAN BE WORKED OUT. I HAVE SOME IDEAS. YES, HE AGREED. IT CAN BE WORKED PERHAPS. I HAVE NOT THOUGHT OF DETAILS YET. You are much concerned for your safety, Grant. Fear not. An amused thought evidently struck him. He added, It occurs to me how easy. If I am going to ransom you, it will be for me to send you back dead. You might, if I send you back alive, tell them a lot of things about me. I will not talk. Not, he said, if I close your mouth for good. I had no retort. There was no answering such logic. And with his murders of Spawn and Perona, and the deaths of some of the police guards at the mine, the murder of me would not put him in any worse a position. He was laughing ironically. Suddenly, he checked himself. Well, Jedda, so you have awakened. Jeddah was sitting erect. How long she had been awake, what she had heard, I could not say. Her gaze went from De Boer to me and back again. Yes, I am awake. It seemed that the look she flashed me carried a warning. But whatever it was, I had no chance of pondering it. For it was driven from my mind by surprise at her next words. Awake, yes. And interested, hearing this Grant bargain with you for his life. It surprised De Boer as well. But the ALKALITE had dulled his wits, and Jedda realized this and presumed upon it. Oh, exclaimed De Boer, our little bird is angry. Not angry. It is contempt. Her look to me now held contempt. It froze me with startled chagrin, but only for an instant and then the truth swept me. Strange Jetta, I had thought of her only as a child, almost, but not quite a woman, a frightened little woodland fawn. Contempt, De Boer, is he not a contemptuous fellow, this American? Again I caught her look and understood it. This was a different Jetta, no longer helplessly frightened, but a woman, fighting. She had heard De Boer calmly saying that he might send me back dead, and she was fighting now for me. Boer took another drink and stared at her what is this she turned away nothing but if you are going to ransom me i am not little bird she showed no aversion for him and it went to his head stronger than the drink never would i ransom you he reached for her but nimbly she avoided him acting but clever enough not to overdo it i held myself silent i had caught again the flash of a warning gaze from her she had phantomed my purpose get his confidence beguile him and woman is so much cleverer than the trickiest man at beguiling do not touch me de boer he tried that he held my hand in the moonlight to woo me with his clever words ha grant you hear her and i find him now not a man but a craven but you will find me a man jetta de boer was hugely amused see grant we are rivals you and perona then you and me It is well for you that I fear you not, or I would run my knife through you now. I could not mistake Jetta's shudder, but Boer did not see it, for she covered it by impulsively putting her hand upon his arm. Did you—did you kill my father? She stumbled over the question, but she asked it with a childlike innocence sufficiently real to convince him. I? Why—he recovered from his surprise. Why, no, little bird. Who told you that I did? No one— I. No one has said anything about it. She added slowly, I hoped that it was not you, de Me? Oh, no. It was an accident. He shot me a menacing glance. I will explain it all, Jetta. Your father and I were friends for years. Yes, I know. Often he spoke to me of you. Many times I asked him to let me meet you. They were ignoring me, but Gutierrez, lurking in the door oval, was not i was well aware of that i remember you from years ago little jetta and i remember you i understood the rationality of her purpose she could easily get De Boer's confidence she had known him when a child her father had been his business partner presumably his friend and i saw her now cleverly altering her status here she had been a captive allied with me she was changing that she was now spawn's daughter here with her dead father's friend she turned a gaze of calm aversion upon me. Unless you want him here, Boer, I would rather talk to you without him. He leaped to his feet. Ha! That pleases me, little Jetta. Gutierrez, take this fellow away. The Spanish-American came slouching forward. The girl's an old friend, Commander? You never told me that. Because it is no business of yours. Take him away. Seal him in D-Cubby. I said sullenly. I misjudged both of you. Jetta's gaze avoided me. As Gutierrez shoved me roughly down the corridor, De Boer laughed, and his voice came back. Do not be afraid. We will find some safe way of ransoming you, dead or alive. I was flung on a bunk in one of the corridor cubbies, and the door sealed upon me. End of chapter 14 To be continued End of section 14